And so Naomi is this older woman and she's left bitter because she's lost her husband and then things get worse as her two sons also die. And so you imagine this family where here's Naomi, this old woman, and she has two daughters-in-law. And yet every one of them are now widows. They've lost their husbands. And it's just full of sorrow and anguish and questions like, what are we going to do? And Naomi's like, I'm just gonna have to go back home. Have I gotta go back to Bethlehem? I hear that things have actually turned around. There's, there's food to be had at home. And so I'm going back. But you girls, I know you've suffered so much. Your husbands are dead but there's nothing for you where I'm going. I, I can offer you nothing. And so just stay here, go back to your families. And Orpah is ultimately convinced, but Ruth clings to Naomi. She's like, no, you're my mother now. I am going with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And may the Lord punish me severely if I break this word. And so she goes back with Ruth, or with Naomi. Naomi comes into town. She shows up in Bethlehem. And you imagine like all these people are like, I haven't seen you in so long. It's been 10 years. Naomi. And she's like, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. The Lord has turned against me. He's taken everything. I come back empty-handed. And so they come back. And then Pastor Reggie picked up last week. And this, this beautiful picture is they come back and now they're in Bethlehem. And God in his providence had actually allowed for provision in times like this for the alien, the sojourner, the least of these, that in the law, it was actually commanded that as people were reaping the harvest, if anything fell to the ground as they're gleaning the harvest, they're actually not allowed to get it. You're supposed to leave it so that the sojourner, the alien, the, the least of these, the poor could come through and they could take, without stealing from me, they could take whatever had fallen on the ground. And so there's provision for the poor. And so Ruth comes onto the land of Boaz, who Naomi says, like, this is one of our, our family redeemers. He's, a, he's kin to us. See if there's kindness there. And so go pick up what has fallen on the ground. And so you imagine, like, this is kind of a shameful thing. Uh, she's there, she's a foreigner, now back in the land of the Israelites and she's here on this property and she's just baking in the sun and she's picking up whatever falls on the ground and gathering together thinking of like, is this gonna be enough for me to eat and for me to take back to Naomi, for mom to eat and all this stuff. But Boaz is this kind man and he's like, who is this foreigner? And he's like, you know what, let me take care of you. Like stay here so you know it's safe. My men will take care of you. Be sure to get water when you need it cool off when you need it, like all this stuff. It's just so kind. And so Naomi receives Ruth back that evening and Ruth has got like a lot. She's like, you did really well. Like they must've dropped a lot of stuff. And she's like, well, I was, I was in Boaz's field. And Naomi's like, that's our ticket. That's how we get out of this situation because a family redeemer means like as the, the land was allotted to the different tribes, families received an apportioned part of the land. And that land was meant to stay with that family. And so if it fell out of the hands of that family because of debt or whatever the case may be, there was provision for how you could get that land back. You needed a family redeemer to purchase back, to say, I will take that property on to continue that family line and all this stuff. And when you did that, you could also take on the widow. And so Naomi's like, Ruth, here's the thing. Girls, this is not good advice, okay? But this is how it worked out. She's like, you're gonna go back. This gets a little sketchy, I know. But best dress. Put your perfume on. You wanna smell nice. Get dolled up, lady. You're gonna go impress. And so what I want you to do is wait until he's out a few, you know what I mean? He's feeling good. He goes to lay down and you just kind of sneak in there and uncover his feet. 
we'll leave it at that, right? And so she goes in there. Imagine now, this young girl, or she's not all that young, but she's younger than Naomi for sure. But she comes in, and Boaz could possibly be the answer to this. He could be the family redeemer. And so she's basically making a proposition. Will you take me? And by taking me, you'll acquire this land. You'll also have to take on the, the load of my mother-in-law, like all this stuff. But will you take me? A foreigner. She's not even a Jew. She's from another land that many of them would say those are the enemies. And she comes in dressed up, trying to look as attractive as possible, wakes him up. And he wakes up and he's like, what? what's going on? Like, and she's like, here's my ask. This, this is the chance. He is the one who can change things for me. But last week, Reggie take us, took us beautifully into this tension. But this is the gospel too, right? We know there's a redeemer. There is one who can do this for us. But is he willing? And so you have to imagine being this young girl coming in in the, the black of night. She's trying to put her best self forward. And the question is, will he have me? Is he willing? And what does Boaz say? Yes. Yes. It's like they, they fall in love. Like you gotta get into the story and like realize like, they're like, yes, I'm committed. I want you, you want me. This is going to happen. But he's like, but here's the tension. Before we go any further, like there's actually someone who's one step closer. There's another kinsman redeemer. There's another family redeemer. There's someone who is closer to you in relation than I am. And so he has the first right to take you and redeem the property of Elimelech. And so we're left with that tension. And so now what we need to take in today's text is like we saw beautifully in the gospel that this is playing out in this story. Like there is someone who can be the redeemer, but is he willing? And so we too come to God like Ruth. Like we can put our best self forward, but really what do we have? We have nothing. Like her, she's a widow. She's here taking from what falls on the ground. She has nothing really to offer. And so she comes with this great fear of like, will he take me? Is he willing? And we too come to God with this burning question of like, I have nothing to offer. Are you willing to take me? Will you redeem me? And he says, yes. He says, yes. But then you come back into this story and there's still a tension of, but can he? He says, yes, he's willing, but can he actually do this? There's, there's, still some, there's still some of the game left to go here. And so we too now need to enter this story. It's like, but can he? He says he's willing, but can he do this? God will not reject me, but can he really provide for me? Is he able? And so here we go. Ruth chapter four, starting in verse one. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took 10 men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. So here we are at the, the gate of the city. So we're at the wall. Here's a gate. This is where a lot of people would funnel in to go in or out. And so this is actually kind of like a public forum. This in the ancient world is a place of legal proceedings. This is like the courthouse, so to speak. You would gather up witnesses and official business would take place here at the gate. And so he's making this an official thing. He sees the family redeemer that is closer than Boaz and he says, hey, hey, 
come here, I've got something to talk to you about. And now 10 of you elders, people that are respected in the community, that you're gonna give validity to the decision that's made today, come be a witness to this. And so the crowd has gathered, the family redeemer is there and he is closer. Remember the law's provision for family and land redemption, the perpetuation of the family line, family names, provision for widows and orphans, all those things. This is where the moment comes down. How is it gonna go down? And so we pick up verse three. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you. Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. Do you feel your heart sink in that moment? As you had this romantic encounter where Ruth dressed up, like, will you have me? And Boaz says, yes. As this elder statesman, he sees this younger lady in great need. She has nothing really to offer. And he says, yes, I will be the family redeemer. But there's someone closer. And so you imagine like her heart racing, like, oh, I'm going to be loved. I'm going to be wed again. Someone is going to make this right. He has proven himself to be a man of great character. He's providing for me. He's protecting me. All these things. This is going to be beautiful. Maybe my life is turning around. This is the one. And then they get to the moment where it's like, can you actually do it? There's this other guy though. He might want you. He's like, here's the thing, other guy. You have first rights to this. Do you want the property? And the guy says, yes, I want the property. And so you imagine if Ruth happens to be around to hear this, what this young lady would have felt in hearing that. But I don't know him. What will he be like? What if, what if he doesn't want me? What if he just takes the property and says, no, you get out of here, foreigner. Like what will happen to me? And mom, what's going to happen here? That sinking heart feeling, the other guy wants to redeem it. But Boaz doesn't give up. Look what happens in verse five. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of a deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. What? <laughs> There's more. The Redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself, or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Mahlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Mahlon's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. All the people who were at the city gate, including the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathath and your name be well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez and the son Tabor, Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz, Boaz realizing what's happening, the guy hears, there's property available, you're next of kin. And he's like, yeah, I'm on it, I'll take it. And Boaz and Ruth, both in that moment, like, oh, no. But Boaz has tricks up his sleeve. 
And so he pulls the foreigner card. He pulls the blind date card and he pulls the take him to the bank card. And if none of that makes sense, um, we don't really know exactly what happened here, but somehow he convinced them. And so what seems likely is that there's this tension that's possible of the ethnic differences and how that would reflect on his family. So hey, if you get this property, you also get the deceased husband's wife, the widow. It's Ruth. She's a Moabite. She's not from here. And the guy has got to be thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. my family's got a name. I'm going to have to marry a foreigner? That could not go well for my family name. Or, possibly, uh, this is the other card of the blind date card. Have you ever been on a blind date? I have not. That is not something I would ever do. (laughs) Ever. Um, I saw my wife before we dated, and I was very glad to see her. She's beautiful. Um, But the blind date card, like, oh, you want the property? You also get the wife you've never seen. Is that worth the risk? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe not. Or to take them to the bank card. Because, hey, you get the property, you also get this widow and her mom. So any of the debt that they have, you now have. It's like, that's a lot of money possibly. So for whatever reason, however he convinces them, he tells them these things and he convinces the guy, yeah, I can't do that. It's all you, man. I forfeit my right to the land. You can have the land. And so he now has it. Whatever the case, it works. The guy backs out, leaving Boaz as the willing and now capable redeemer. And he's got a sandal to show for it, which is just awesome. I thought that was really funny. Sorry. (laughs) Can we go back to that? Instead of the like massive stack of 4,000 signatures, just take your sandal off. Here you go. (laughs) Title and deed, it's done. All right, so look what happens now. Verse 13. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord granted conception to her and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap and became his nanny. The neighbor woman said, a son has been born to Naomi and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amenadab, Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. So do you recall that when they were in Moab and Mahlon, the son of Elimelech, married Ruth, They were wed for 10 years and had no children. And yet now, as Boaz marries Ruth, the Lord granted her conception. And they have a child. Chapter 4 shows us the fullness of this redemption and this provision, ultimately culminating in a male heir. That there is a son to perpetuate the lineage of the family, to keep the name to be the one to inherit the property, to keep these things going. This is the one who would bring them stability and security. That now you're not only just married to someone who is of status, but now you have a son to inherit all of this. This is full provision. This is the beauty of Naomi, who at the start of the book is really actually kind of the main character here. That Naomi leaves the land with nothing. 
and in great despair. And then God in his providence, he provides and Naomi comes back with nothing and yet she now is full as the book concludes. And we see in a book that some would even contest, does it actually have a place in the Bible? Because like, it's not really a lot about God in this. Like they allude to God, they reference God in some places, say God did these things, and yet you cannot read this book without seeing God and his sovereignty, his providence is all over this book. That it's God providing every bit of it. That God and his sovereign hand is really at work in everything in this world. That he is over it all. And that is not to say that he's making terrible things happen but it's to say there's nothing that happens outside of his hand, outside of his power, and he loves to work redemptively in awful things like this. And so we have to trust him in that, see that he provides, because Boaz in this story has shown himself to be a capable redeemer. He showed himself to be capable of truly providing, but bottom line, kids, this is what you've got to get today. If you get nothing else, God is truly able to provide. God can do it. He is willing and he is able. God is willing to redeem us. He is willing to save us from our sin, from the fact that we have nothing to bring. And yet he says, I love you. This is grace. You don't deserve it, but I call you my own. I'm willing. But then we say, but are you able? Maybe you live right now in a state of like, I see how life is going. Things are awful. Things are falling apart. There's terrible things like I hear this, this, this idea that God loves me. It sounds like he's willing, but is he really able? I see so much calamity in my life and around the world. Is he able? Is he really as powerful as he says he is? And the answer is an emphatic, yes. Absolutely, God is truly able. He can provide. And so I want to ask the question, as we look at the story and kind of see that like, this is actually all of our story, that in our sin, running from God and his promises, we have all rebelled, we have all sinned, we have fallen short of the glory of God and the consequence of the wages, the result of our sin is death. It's actually separation from God, physical death, but also the spiritual death that we've been alienated from the creator we are created to be with forever, to enjoy him. And so like this family, running and rebellion, and yet to see God in his grace provides and says, someone must pay the price here. There must be a redeemer. You cannot pay the price. So we are like this family of widows that we cannot pay the price and we desperately want to be brought back in. We want to belong. We want that. And God says, I'll be the redeemer. I am willing. And so he steps in as the redeemer, Jesus, the redeemer. And then we see he is truly able as he has atoned for our sins. And so we see God's involvement all over the place in this story. So now imagine this. This is in the time of Judges. And we started this summer series looking at a story in Judges. And we see how God would show up and he would provide, he would deliver and bring about peace for the nation. And I think like, oh, that's cool. Can I be honest with you? I struggle so much to slip into a mindset of thinking, God really cares about beloved, the church or God really cares about all of his people across the planet, or God really cares about these really big things that happen on the national or international scale, like all these big things happening. And, and I, I feel confident that God's hearing and answering my prayers for you. But then so often I can slip into thinking, but does he care about me? Just little old me. This big God and little me. Does he care about me? And you read the book of Judges and you think like, yeah, that makes sense because it's on this national scale. 
And then the book of Judges is followed by the story of Ruth. And you see God go from the national scale to just this young lady, where he cares about this individual young lady. And so you go from massive to small, close. You see Bethlehem, this community is affected. And then it goes even further because it doesn't just stop or terminate on the individual, but it actually goes much further. You saw how the conclusion of this book was? She has a child, a male heir. And who is this child? (laughs) You're ahead of me. Come back to that. A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. As you conclude the story, you see why this is so important. This foreign woman comes back into the people of God, commits herself to that God, and that God grants her conception, and she has a son who becomes the grandfather of King David. And King David would receive the promise that his throne would be established forever. And so every one of the nation of Israel, all of the Jews, all the Hebrew people would be looking to this promise that one from the line of David would come and his throne would be established forever. And so the nation is blessed. And yet now we take that further if you look at Matthew. Um, Matthew chapter one, verse five. This isn't a genealogy, so I'm gonna read it to you, but I want you to hear this. He's listing off a genealogy at the beginning of the gospel and it says, Salmon fathered Boaz. You remember Boaz? Big character in this story. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed, that's the son, by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered King David. Well, that's great. Like we already established that from the, the, the ending of the book. Now we keep going. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. And you skip down to verse 16. You're continuing this family tree, watching generation after generation as who begat who. And now you get to verse 16. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. That this story of Ruth and how God would provide from a foreign woman bringing her in into this covenantal love, providing, and you see the beauty of God's redemption. There's a family redeemer and the beauty of all that stuff. And then now, generations later, you see Jesus, the seed, the one who would come from the line of David, the king of kings, meaning he is now the blessing to all nations that was originally promised to Abraham, that his seed would be a blessing to all the nations. And so God's providence on the individual level for Ruth, but then the the neighborhood, Bethlehem, and then going beyond that, the nation of Israel, beyond that to the entire world, there is a redeemer who stands ready. He is willing and he is able. This is Jesus. There is no other redeemer for us. He is the one who can pay the price. He can cover the cost and he is capable. He's willing and he's capable. So will you listen to him? Will you come to him to provide? He alone can provide. Jesus is our redeemer. This is the way that Paul wrote it in close to the start of his letter to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter one, he said, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. That we are broken sinners and we come with nothing to offer but he is the redeemer, providing redemption through the shedding of his blood that there would be a sacrifice to cover. This would be the cost of our redemption. The price was paid in his blood that he died on a cross saying, would you believe in me? Turn from your sin, repent from your sin, admit you are a sinner 
and confess him to be a Lord who is capable of saving because he died on a cross, but he did not stay dead. He rose again victorious over death and he's offering us everlasting life to be back with the Father, to be one with God again, to enjoy that community. You have to see that Jesus is our provision. And Jesus famously stood up at a festival, and this is recorded in John 6, and he said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Do you hear that? Jesus calls himself the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never be hungry, you'll never be thirsty. He alone can satisfy. He alone can provide. Jesus, do you recall where Jesus was born? He was born in Bethlehem, the same city where this all takes place. The house of bread, if you translate it literally, is where the one who is the ultimate redeemer comes from and stands up and says, I'm the bread of life. All who come to me will never hunger. I'll never thirst again. So will you come to the bread of life, to Jesus, our Redeemer, and see that God is truly able to provide. So skeptic, you don't know if you believe any of this. Sounds like somebody did a lot of hoop jumping to make all these things work together in this great literary work. You just don't know. Seeker, you want desperately to know the truth. Stumbling saint, you look at the sins you've committed even this very week, and you think, can God really do that for me? Is he willing? Is he able to cover my wretchedness? Or doubting saint, will you believe this good news? That he can provide? That he is the redeemer who stands saying, anyone who comes to me, anyone who comes to me will never hunger, will never thirst again. So will you come to him for your satisfaction, for his provision? And then follower of Jesus, who do you need to share this good news with? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you would provide in this way like in a story that we can go back and read about that happened so many thousands of years ago and see the beauty of your providence, that it wasn't out of your control. Even in the calamity, even in their actual rebellion, you were at work. So Spirit, would you convict us? Would you shape our hearts? Would you help us to cling to you to rejoice in you, to run to you, to satisfy, to satiate our hunger and our thirst.